it's not about being late to make the payment. Actually, the payment that you make to the employee is not relevant when it comes to these penalties. They don't care about the payment. If it's late, it's late. That's it. The payment's only relevant if you make it on time. If you make the payment late, then the question that you have to answer to reduce your penalty is, why did you hand in the SG charge form late? Why didn't you hand that in on time? Because you've got a month to hand that in. Why didn't you hand that in on time? And you've got to answer that question. You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to episode 375 of Text Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to DocuSign for sponsoring this episode. Today, let's talk about a problem that has always been a problem, but now with SDP is a much bigger problem. And that is the late payment of super, especially the late payment of super for director wages, because paying super for external employees has always been a priority because it only took one employee to report the late payment to the ATO and then there was big trouble. But super for director wages until now was kind of optional because of course the director wouldn't report it to the ATO and the ATO didn't really know because there was no STP. But now with STP, the late payment of super for director wages is very obvious. And so the ATO has become a lot more active pursuing late payments of SG and late lodgements of SGC statements for anybody, be it external employees or internal directors. And the reason is because they can see exactly what is meant to be paid and what has been paid. So this has become a critical issue for many of us, hence the topic for this week. Here is Adam Ahmed, tax lawyer in Sydney, discussing the issue with you. It starts counting from when the money actually hits the superannuation fund account. So not when you pay it, but when it has been processed. If it arrives in the super fund only one day late, in theory, the employer is liable for superannuation guarantee charge, correct? That's right. And so then the um, penalty component ex uh, exists of the uh, so-called superannuation guarantee surcharge, which is twice the amount. So if the super was $1,000, it means the surcharge is $2,000, correct? It's a little bit co more complicated than that. What happens is you're supposed to hand in, once you're late to, with the super payment, you need to hand in the superannuation guarantee charge. You have to hand in the statement to the tax office. That statement has an admin fee and there's an interest component in, in built in that, which is supposed to go to the employee. Whatever that number works out to be, that's your SG charge. And then on top of that, if you do get penalized, the penalty is 200%. But the penalty usually only happens when there's a person in the tax office who's looking at it. If it's like an audit or something, or it's being reviewed or checked by a human being. I think if you do it completely voluntarily by yourself, before the tax office has even sent you a letter or anything about it, then there's usually no penalty. So you'll only be paying the SG charge. But where it becomes complicated is if you hand in the SG charge form late. So you have a, a month to hand in the SG charge form. 
roughly. And if you're more than a month late, what they do is they charge you interest up until the day that you hand in the form. So let's say you pay someone super one day late, but you hand in the SG charge form three years late, you pay interest for three years, even though you've already paid their super. And then you'll get charged the admin penalty and all that admin fee and all that as well. And what they'll do is they'll deduct the amount that you've already paid when you paid one day late and you'll still owe a fairly large balance and you'll need to pay that. But if there's an auditor involved and they're looking at applying a penalty, the penalty actually applies to the amount before the offset is taken into account. So for example, if you owed someone $100 of super, you're late, you end up handing in the SG charge form, there's the admin fee. And in the end, it says, well, now you owe, say, $200, say, maybe we'll make it $250 because it's easier on the maths. You owe $250 now. You'll say, well, I've already paid $100, but they'll say, when we work out our penalty, we work out the penalty on the 250 And so if you got the maximum penalty for some reason, which is 200%, well, that's the, that's the starting penalty. Then you would be charged $500 penalty. So you would pay $750 in total, and they would recognize that you've already paid $100. And so you still owe, you still owe $650. That's, that's how it works. You said the 200% penalty is only the starting point. How bad can it get? It, well, sorry, it's, it's 200% penalty is the starting point. It's the default. So in, in the legislation, it actually says the penalty is 200%. And then the ATO has the discretion to remit the penalty so they can make it lower. And so it's really a question of how low will they make it. So the 200% penalty, that is the maximum penalty the ATO can apply. It's the automatic penalty, and it is the maximum, I suppose. I mean, you can also be charged general interest charge as well, but that's not really a penalty. That's just interest. Here's a quick word from our sponsor. When it comes to tax talks, I'm no podcaster, but I am an accountant, and every day I advise on claims and deductions. Trouble is, I hadn't been looking after my own business. Well, with the government's tech rebate ending soon, I signed up to DocuSign and I've gone 100% digital. It streamlined everything from onboarding to invoices. Now I kind of wish I'd taken my own advice sooner. Sign up for your free trial at docusign.com.au. Next time, DocuSign. Being even a day late, I can imagine very few employers and accountants prepare an SGC's charge unless they get asked by the ATO. How likely is the ATO to follow up on SGC statements when we're talking days of it being late or maybe a month being late for a month? Have you seen the ATO actually actively requesting SGC statements when the, uh, when the payment is late for less than a month? 
No, I haven't. Actually, what how it used to work is that an employee would call call up the ATO and complain that they haven't been paid their superannuation. And then what the ATO would do is they would send um, the employer a, a letter saying, you know, can you check these periods, you know, that the employee was working? They don't tell you who the employee is. And then they give you an opportunity to hand in the SG statement. So that was one way it would be triggered. And obviously that's not going to happen if someone's only a, a little bit late. That's going to happen probably a fair bit after. But now I think with the with single touch payroll, they get that data live and they're able to see whether someone is paying the superannuation or not on time. I think they can get in a little bit earlier. I've heard anecdotally that they are doing that, yes. but I haven't actually seen it. I have seen employers receiving these letters where the only employees are directors. And of course, the directors wouldn't have gone to the ATO and basically blackmailed their own company. Hence, you're right. It must be that the ATO now acts on STP data. It does bear out then, because that's what I'd heard. The tax office is actually very aggressive when it comes to superannuation. And, and the law itself is actually very aggressive. Yes, because the ATO is arguing it's actually not our money. It's the employee's money. We are just representing the employee's interests here. And since it's not our money, it's not up to us to be lenient or, or nice. We really need to make sure super gets paid. That's right. Yeah. And I, and I think it's actually, it's just designed to be very punitive. I don't think it's very forgiving. I mean, if you think about it, you lose the tax deduction for the super and the super bill can double or triple. I mean, many people who come to me with SGC problems, I had a person once who probably over the period, 125,000 of super, which they paid, they actually had paid that, but, you know, a bit late, handed in the form late, but they did actually pay 125,000 or so. And the SG bill that they got was 100. 40 or something, 150,000. And they were wondering, how is it possible that I have a bill for super, which is more than the super that I owed, which I have already also paid, you know? And that's actually quite a common situation. And the 150,000 was in addition to the 125,000 they already paid? Correct. So the ATO wanted them to pay an additional 150,000? Yeah, which mathematically is possible because if the penalty is high enough, and the SG charge form is handed in late enough. I think the interest rate for SG charge is like 10% or something. Yes. That's the inbuilt interest rate. And so if you are a, couple, a few years late, two years late maybe in handing in the form, that 10% actually can add up to a big number. And then you have a penalty of 200% on top of that 10%, which, which makes the interest rate more like 30% really. So you can see how it can get to a really big number. That, that's just on the interest on its own. Yes. So your client actually was lucky that his SGC's charge was only 150,000 because the penalty could be 200%. So that would already take the $125,000 of um, super to 250,000 and then plus 10% interest. It could easily hit 300,000 instead of... So the 150,000 in that calculation is actually quite lenient. It, that's that, Yeah, it is. And that's what they say as well. So when you complain about it, they say, well, it could have been more. We remitted the penalty this much. 
I mean, the tax office doesn't have a lot of flexibility here. The only thing they can do is remit the penalty. Even when it comes to remitting the penalty, they have limitations too, because in the legislation, for example, do you remember they had that superannuation amnesty recently? Yes. So if you get um, an audit now for the amnesty period, they actually cannot reduce the penalty more to below 100%. The amnesty went until it was for superannuation that was due until I think it might have been September. Yeah, it ended in on the 7th of September 2020. But it was four periods before that. I think it was, I think it applied for periods for a few years before that. 7th of September 2020 was the last day that you could hand in things for the amnesty. But it actually didn't apply to super up until that date. It it actually was a, a different date range. I see. In the example, they used January 2016 to June 2016, so it clearly goes back quite a bit. It does go back quite a bit. It's a little bit redundant now which periods it was for because if you haven't applied yet, you you know you can't apply anymore for the amnesty. problem with the amnesty as well is that if you have an issue with that period now, you're, you're going to get a 100% penalty unless there's an exceptional circumstance. Okay, so that means the amnesty wasn't that generous anyway. Did the amnesty still include a 100% penalty? No, the amnesty was generous at the time, but now it's even more punitive. So what they did was they said, well, if you hand in everything for the amnesty period, you know, we'll, you know, we'll be generous to you. But if you don't, we're going to be really harsh on you if we oh, subsequently okay. find out. So the amnesty is your chance to come clean, basically. Can we go through the process? So the uh, the payment date for the super has passed. So we are past the 28th. And then I think there are three distinctive phases. The first one is you realize you are late, but the ATO hasn't written to you yet. And then, of course, the um, natural instinct will be to just quickly pay the super and hope it will all be okay. So that's that's phase one basically. Then phase two is when I when the ATO sends you a letter or the super funds. I've also seen that the super fund has written letters saying we think there is some super outstanding here. So phase two is somebody's writing to you about this issue. Usually the ATO, sometimes the fund. And then phase three is when the ATO basically gets a lot more aggressive and I'm actually not 100% sure what phase three looks like. Going back to phase one, where you just quickly, for example, pay now. So we are in February now. So super was due on the 28th of January. And so you're a few days late. In phase one, nobody has written to you and you just realize that you're late and you just quickly pay the super. That's And the natural instinct then will be to hope that that's fine. You know, you were a few days late, but Hopefully it will be okay. That's phase one. I don't really think that anybody lodges an SGC statement in phase one when nobody has said anything and they just quickly... Yeah, yeah that's that's what happens in practice. Have you seen the ATO then going back a month later or so and saying actually that payment was a month late? Have you seen that happening? I haven't seen them do that. But what does happen is if you do have an SG audit that covers that period, then that payment does count as a late payment. Okay, good. So it's like with a lot of things in tax, 
tax law. It's kind of okay until somebody starts looking under the under the hood. Good. So that's phase one. I, I think most accountants and most employers don't do anything in phase one apart from quickly paying the super. Then phase two is somebody is already writing to you. Usually the ATO is, is just saying it seems to be that um, we would like to have an SGC statement. They basically just ask about an SGC statement. And if you have paid the super by then, when when you are asked for this SGC statement, then I think you're most likely only up for an admin fee and for interest, but not for a penalty. Is that correct? No, no, you still get the penalty. What happens there is you get your admin fee, interest and penalty, but they will allow you to deduct to deduct from that total how much you've already paid. Okay. And it's also possible with the ATO to ask for remission of the penalty, for example, when the super was just for directors, for example, and the, let's say the wages were to fix a director loan and hence naturally the super was late because the director loan was, you know, was fixed later. So you can then most likely ask the ATO for a remittance of this penalty. Is that what you're saying? You, you can, but there's a limit to how much they can remit it. What happens is, so they have they have a practice statement in which they'd have to follow. Actually, what happens is the auditor inputs the situation into the computer and the computer spits out what the penalty should be. So they don't even have that higher level of discretion. You know, it asks questions like, you know, what's their compliance history? Good, bad, fair? It asks a series of questions. And depending on the answer to that question, you get a certain level of you get a certain level of penalty. I think even if you had all of your tax records up to date, you pay all of your tax bills on time, generally speaking, and you're a first-time offender, and you know you paid your super, but you paid it late, you just forgot to hand in the SG form. If it goes to an audit, you probably will still get some kind of penalty. It will be low, but you'll probably still get something. You know, it, it might not be zero. I think to get a penalty of zero, you really need to have an exceptional situation. Like, for example, you know, you're in the hospital or in a coma or something, so you couldn't do it. And that's why it was late. And even then, the exceptional situation applies to why didn't you hand in the SG form? It's not about why didn't... A lot of people make the mistake of thinking that they just have to explain why they were late. It's not about being late to, to make the payment. Actually, the payment that you make to the employee is not relevant when it comes to these penalties. They don't care about the payment. If it's late, it's late. That's it. The payment's only relevant if you make it on time. If you make the payment late, then the question that you have to answer to reduce your penalty is, why did you hand in the SG charge form late? Why didn't you hand that in on time? Because you've got a month to hand that in. Why didn't you hand that in on time? And you've got to answer that question. And everyone, people say, oh, my accountant didn't tell me or I didn't know about it or whatever. And that excuse doesn't work. So it has to be something different to that. And that's the only thing they care about. And people tell long stories about different things that have happened to them and their business and everything else. But at the end of the day, the only thing that matters 
is why did you hand in the SG charge form late? Not why did you pay super late? Nothing else. Why did you hand in the form late? And that's it. If you get the initial letter or notification from the tax office and you do it, then yeah, you might get away with no penalty. But once they have a person allocated to look at it, you're probably going to get something, some kind of penalty. So that the key is to do it as early as possible. And you're taking a big risk, even when you talked about the first phase, you, you are taking a bit of a risk. If you, you know, paid super tiny bit late, and then you say, oh, stuff it, I've just paid a little bit late. I'll just leave it and forget about it. You are taking a little bit of a risk there because in theory, you're supposed to hand in the SG charge form and you also shouldn't be claiming a tax deduction for that superannuation because you've lost the ability to claim a deduction. SGC is not deductible. So that's that's it's it's a very harsh set of rules, but... That's that's how it works. If you think, well, maybe it doesn't matter because I paid it only a couple of days late. If you're in an audit, the auditor will actually ask you for proof of the payment dates and they'll match up that the payment was late. And mm -hmm. so it'll automatically be, uh, automatically be a penalty on that one. So I think there's a big shift now because, and, and I think you already hinted at that. Until now, you really only got into trouble when an employee complained about it and directors, for example, didn't complain about their own super fund. But now with STP data, the ATO can act very quickly and the fund can act very quickly. And so we really, we as accountants, we really need to completely change our mindset with respect to super. That's right. But I also have a feeling that at the moment it's a little bit gray between phase one, phase two, and phase three, it's all changing what exactly each phase means and what you can do and not do in each phase. The other thing is the tax office changes the practice statement that applies to how it remits penalties regularly as well. I think there was one in 2019, a different one in 2020, a different one in 2021. And so these rules change all the time. Sometimes they're harsher, sometimes they're less so. The 2021 is PSLA 2021 slash three, 2021 slash three, and it's titled Remission of Additional Superannuation Guarantee Charge. Now looking at PSLA 2021 slash three, so Practice Statement Law Administration 2021 slash three, from your memory, what are the points that got changed? 2021 was harsher. So I think in a, in a nutshell, 2019 was a, not that bad. 2020 was very harsh. And so the minimum penalty was higher. And 2021, I think, walked that back a little bit. If you look at all of them, they all have a table in there and they all show steps. So in 2021, for example, the steps are first, you have to consider the remission based on the employee's attempt to comply. And then they give you a table there and it tells you the remission percentage and it's, it's, it's fixed. So if, if you have a late payment made in response to ATO compliance action, for example, after an audit has been commenced, the remission is 10%. So that's 10% of 200%. If the late payment is made prior to the ATO contact and was 
less than three months after the due date, the remission is 40%. And then that's step one. So the, the percentages changed between the previous practice statement and this one. And then they look at step two, they look at the degree of attempt to comply. The best highest remission you can get is if you lodge the SG statement prior to the lodgement due date and before any ATO contact, then you get 90% remission, which is, which is quite good. So the key with that one is it's about the SG statement, you know, so you get remission based on when you hand in the SG statement yes. uh, and then they look at your compliance history. If you have a good compliance history, they will remit further 15%. But if you have a poor compliance history, they'll actually add 15% to the penalty. And extremely poor, they'll add 30% to the penalty. And they have another section for looking at mitigating factors, which is basically exceptional circumstances. And it limits how much you can, how much can be remitted based on each of those categories. The highest one that they can do, which lets you remit an amount but not exceeding 50% is if there's, for example, a malfunction or an outage of a key ATO system. And because of that, they narrowly missed the lodgement due date for the SG form. So even then you just get a 50%. But the key is that it's all based on handing in the form more so than anything else. In the earlier years, those percentages were a little bit different they had a few different steps. The steps were slightly different as well, but penalty was also different. So, so they tinker with the steps, but broadly they do follow the same concept, which is they look at, they do look at your compliance history and other mitigating facts and circumstances, but the tables, all of them will have a table, which will tell you how much they were remitting. Those earlier practice statements, they can sort of choose which practice statement to apply as well. So you can sometimes say to the tax office, oh, can you use this other practice statement because it's relevant to the period? Sometimes they'll do it, sometimes they won't, but you can sometimes get a bit of flexibility there. If you go through all the steps, you'll see which one, you know, what how it works out. But that's 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 how they do it basically. And that's the changes between each one. It's usually to the steps and to the percentages. Because SGC is a very technical and it's a technical sex part of the tax law and it and it operates on a lot of technicalities, for example, that you handing in the form and things like that. There's also the possibility to reduce the SGC using the same technicalities to try to get the correct outcome. It's not always the most logical path to do that. And you know, it's good to just talk to the ATO auditor about that because it might be that, like they're bound by rules too, but it might be that there's a technicality that helps you as well as the technicalities that just cause this, uh, cause an adverse outcome, like, a you know, an unreasonable adverse outcome. Uh, and that does happen in SGC as well. So it's just, it's good to just be aware that those possibilities do exist. Was the last point you made, was that to ask the ATO for advice where there could be a possible defense? 
not you can't ask you wouldn't ask them for advice but what you do is you'd come to a landing with them and say look this is probably the realistic situation and then if there's a technicality that's available that might help you you could ask them and say look are you willing to let me apply this technicality because it will you know obviously we're not dodging it or anything like that but just due to the nature of how the law works you know we're getting say a as a strange outcome and if the auditor is okay with that then you can go ahead and do that but you'd mention it to them so i do that for example i've got some in the tribunal and objection and i'll say you'll look at it first you'll make the assessment and you'll say okay this is probably how much super it looks like the person tried they probably stuffed up here or there but you know it might be possible to calculate sgc in a different way that comes to an outcome that more accurately reflects the super owed as opposed to like, you know, imagine if you pay super to someone a couple of days late and then you're paying them interest for five years because you handed in the form late, you know, it just, or there's a director or something and there's a more accurate reflection. I would, I wouldn't just do it. I would ask the auditor and get their permission first and just be transparent about it and say, look, we're getting this outcome because of some technicalities in the law, but these other technicalities might be available that can ameliorate that result. Can you give an example? Well, one could be, for example, you could say to the auditor, say in, say in the case you mentioned for the director, you could, you could actually ask them and say, look, I really should have put this through as a dividend, you know, probably is supposed to be a dividend instead of their wages. And if I do that, is that okay? You know, if, if that was actually what you were supposed to do in the first place, you can just ask them. The worst they'll say is no, like you can't do that, but they might say yes. I wouldn't just do that. You know, I would ask them first because you don't want to do anything that's just not above board. And that puts you between a rock and a hard stone because dividends, of course, require certain paperwork at the time. They require dividend distribution, dividend statements, etc. And if all of that wasn't done at the time because the client wasn't aware of direct loan issues, Division 7A, etc. Well, Division 7A it, deems dividends, for example. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's what we want to avoid. Well, it might be exercise. better than the SG. Yeah, it could be right. better than the SGC outcome, though. Like that's what yeah. that's what I mean. Like you, you have to look at the different options. You could, but you but you would ask them. You'd say, look, is this something that I can do? And obviously, there's some flexibility there, and there might be a mistake or something like that. It's a good point. You might actually be better off having a deemed dividend under Division Seven A than to go through all this super drama. That's right. You'd have to yeah. You'd have to run the maths on that. Welcome back. I had nine light bulb moments listening to Adam Ahmed and reading PSLA 2021-3. PSLA stands for Practice Statement Law Administration. A bit of an awkward acronym. So PSLA, PISLA. You might be able to say PISLA. Light bulb moment number one. The ATO has the data now to really drill down into super payments. In the PSLA, they distinguish between pay event reporting and event-based reporting. To quote from the PSLA, the ATO says the following, start of quote, we have pay event reporting of SG accruals and 
event-based reporting of contribution payments from funds regulated by the Australian Prudential Regulation Authority, so APRA. This information provides us with end-to-end -end visibility of where an employer has not met their SG obligations for the employees. End of quote. So pay event reporting of SG recruits, they get that through SDP. Through SDP, the ATO can see exactly which employee is meant to get what super. And they have what they call event-based reporting from funds regulated by APRA. So I assume the ATO can't see SG payments to SMSFs, but they have data feeds from APRA funds. So for employees without an SMSF, the ATO can see exactly which employee is meant to get how much super and when that super was actually paid, when an employer paid super and whether they were late. Lightbulb moment number two. The superannuation guarantee charge, the SGC, actually consists of four components. Number one, the SG shortfall itself, that is the actual super that wasn't paid on time. Number two, interest of 10% per annum from the start of the quarter. Number three, an admin fee of $20 per employee per quarter. And number four, the fourth component is the penalty. The ATO calls this penalty the Part 7 penalty. So the SG charge is not just the penalty. It is the shortfall itself, the interest, the admin fee, and then also Part 7 penalty. Lightbulb moment number three. The penalty, i.e. the Part 7 penalty, is all about the late lodgement of the SGC statement. If you lodge the statement on time, there is no Part 7 penalty. Even if you pay late, there is no penalty, just very high interest, as long as you lodge the statement on time. If you lodge late, Part 7 penalty applies. If you lodge on time, all you have to worry about is the admin fee and the interest and the shortfall itself, of course. Lightbulb moment number four. The SGC statements and the payment of the SGC are due a month after the superannuation guarantee due date. The SG payments, so payment of the super itself, SG payments are due 28 days after quarter end. So 28th of October, 28th of January, 28th of April and 28th of July. The SGC statements and the payment of the SGC itself are due a month after that. So on 28th of November, 28th of February, 28th of May and 28th of August. Lightbulb moment number five. There is no remission on the shortfall itself and the interest. And that makes sense. The employee is entitled to the super. So the ATO can't remit that. The ATO can't say to the employee, oh, actually, you are entitled to the super by law, but we think you shouldn't get that. So the ATO can't remit the shortfall because the super belongs to the employee. The ATO also can't remit the interest. The employee lost out on potential earnings by not receiving their super on time. So the interest is to make up for that. The interest is like victim's compensation. The ATO can't remit that either. So shortfall in interest, the ATO can't remit. And so the PSLA doesn't even touch on these components of the SG charge. Lightbulb moment number six. What the ATO can remit is the Part 7 penalty, since that penalty doesn't go to the employee, but the ATO. The PSLA says, quote, You have the discretion to remit the Part 7 penalty, and you is the instructions to the ATO officer who is working on this. So the PSLA says, start of quote, You have the discretion to remit the Part 7 penalty in full 
or in part. This can be done as part of the assessment of the penalty, the original assessment stage, or after the penalty is assessed through an objection decision. End of quote. And so the PSLA 2021-3 is all about this penalty. It sets out the rules when and how the ATO can remit what percentage of the Part 7 penalty it wants to remit. I haven't mentioned the admin fees since I'm not sure whether they can get remitted or not. It is usually the admin fee is usually the smallest part of it all. And so the focus is usually on the penalty. Hence, I can't remember whether it was ever on the table for remission. Light bulb moment number seven. The part seven penalty starts with 200%. That is your automatic starting point. And this 200% is applied to the original SG shortfall. And this 200% is applied to the original SG shortfall. Whether you have already paid that shortfall or not. Let's say the super for the past December quarter is $10,000. You didn't pay the super on 28th of January, so you have a shortfall. But you paid it a week later, doesn't matter, still late. And so you have a late payment offset, an LPO. But for calculation of the penalty, it is as if you hadn't paid the super yet. Your penalty is still 200%, so $20,000 even though you have already paid the shortfall and were just a week late. Here is the PSLA outlining this. Start of quote. If an employer claims a late payment offset, an LPO, to reduce their SGC payable, this reduction is disregarded for the purposes of calculating the amount of Part 7 penalty imposed. In other words, the Part 7 penalty imposed is equal to double the total SGC for the quarter as if no LPOs were claimed. End of quote. So this makes it so important to pay super on time. Lightbulb moment number eight. When the ATO considers reducing your Part 7 penalty, they go through a four-step process. And these four steps are step number one. Have you, you as the employer, have you paid the SG now? So yes, you were late, but have you paid now? Step number two. Have you lodged the SGC statement now? So yes, you were late, but have you lodged it now? Step number three. Have you had a good compliance history until now? So are you usually a good taxpayer? And step number four. Are there any other mitigating facts or circumstances. These are the four steps the ATO has to go through when talking with you about a remission of SGC penalties, of Part 7 penalties. Lightbulb moment number nine. The ATO can't just remit penalties willy-nilly. There is a table that outlines exactly how much can be remitted. Actually, there are three tables. The first table looks at payments. When did you pay what? The second table looks at lodgements of SGC statements and how far involved the ATO is already. When did you report SG shortfalls to the ATO? Before or after the ATO made contact? And the third table looks at your compliance history and increases or decreases your discount accordingly. Based on these three tables, your penalty could increase beyond 200% or decrease to just $20 per quarter. So it is all about where you sit in these tables. So these were the nine light bulb moments regarding superannuation guarantee charge. 
looking at the next episode, episode 376, I'm not 100% sure yet what it will be. There are seven different topics in the pipeline, but I'm not 100% clear yet which one will come when. Sorry about that. I will see more clearly in the next episode. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to DocuSign for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.